Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And we've got to... So we've got to jump right off the top here. We are... This is the first episode of the show. We did the intro episode, and we've already gotten her name wrong. It's Charlize Theron, not Theron. Mm-hmm. Everybody says it's Theron. There is an interview that Melissa, friend of the show, has done art for different podcasts of ours. She sent me this thing that you know, I mean, somebody from Yahoo or somewhere interviewed her and said, "How do you spell or how do you pronounce your name?" She pronounced it in the South African way, which I can't re. Produce. It's something like Thrun. She says it's Theron, but as soon as she said that, like her manager or agent or somebody said, Americanize it, do it Theron. And then she's like, okay. And then as soon as she said that, like everybody's like, oh, Theron. So <laughs> the name of the show doesn't really make sense because Watch the Theron doesn't really make sense. So the show is going to be Watch the Theron, but it's about Charlize Theron. So well, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I thought it was Theron. So, I mean, even I was pronouncing it in the minority the whole time. But, I mean, whatever, man. I mean, it just adds to the charm i feel <laughs> you know and and just the whole concept that people had mispronounced the name in the past no one will ever forget now no and it's so it's theron like heron like the bird uh i mean i'm gonna need to remember to pronounce it the right way for a while eventually i'll get it but charlie's theron so watch the theron the charlie's theron <laughs> podcast which makes no sense nah. but considering this is like a last minute plug-in for another podcast that i don't want to mention too many times i feel like that's gonna sort of just drift out of our consciousness slowly over time hmm. but as this was sort of like a last minute thing it's it's still uh we're still working out the kinks we're still ironing out the uh, the bumps and the wrinkles. Yeah, it's what happens when you just sort of jump in with two feet without looking, and <laughs> I, it's fine. I mean, I'm rolling with it. It's good. And, when, uh, and just quickly on a quick note, like maybe not by name, but I may have to just refer to the fact that we did record a secret pilot for something later we did. on so yeah uh, that might totally might, fine that much might come up I, I also just realized that i was in such a rush to talk about how we mispronounce her name how we need to correctly pronounce her name that we did not mention what movie this was this is <laughs> children of the corn three urban harvest from 1995 which i have never seen any other movie in this franchise apparently there are six or eight of them um try ten. Oh my god there's nine like quote-unquote theatrical or straight wow. to vod and then there's one TV movie. So how many of them have you seen? I've seen about like six or seven of them, but to be quite honest, I only remember the first three or so. The rest of them all just kind of blend in the maze there. (laughs) In the corn maze? Yeah, you just get lost in it. Exactly. I have so many questions because I don't know what the mythology of any of this is. I've got some answers. I thought that the old guy at the beginning was the bad guy, but then Mm -hmm. you find out it's the little kid who's the bad guy. I was like, whoa, what is this? Who's really older than everybody when you come to find out. Which we're, I'm going to have questions about that, too. All right, you want a little rundown or something? Well, <laughs> I think that because I didn't know any of this, I was able to enjoy this more as opposed to, like, say, for instance, loving the first one, even though I've heard this whole franchise is kind of like, eh. <laughs> Instead of, like, loving the first one and being like, oh, look at this knockoff of a whatever, I could just be like, this is weird and crazy, and I don't understand anything that's going on. I'm going to sort of enjoy it. So, yeah, so g- please please give me a rundown <laughs> of generally, the, okay. I guess, the franchise or the mm-hmm. first two movies... I don't know. Is this yeah. is this little kid Eli in the first two movies? No, not to my recollection. What? So the last time I saw it was about, I think, like two years ago or so. Well, let, look, let me start at the beginning. So this is <laughs> all based on a Stephen King short story. Yes. Which was like published in Penthouse in like 1977 and then later in a book of short stories. I like that a short story can become ten movies. Yes. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's just, you know, the power of Stephen King's name at some point, too, right? Where they're just going to lop it onto anything 
you know, that moves. Like, it's just well, I mean, at a, at a given time, but like right now in 2017, we're in the king of songs. You're sort right. Of. I mean, we yeah. have two adaptations on Netflix. We have Gerald's Game, and we have 1922. We have what else is there? There's so many it, different things. It, Dark Tower, all sorts of things. Like, this is a really big year for Stephen King, but I guess also the. 80s and 90s? I mean, ever really. I guess since he started writing, it's been a big year for Stephen King. Yeah, I mean, his work has just always been very adaptable, I suppose. <laughs> have we, but sorry to sidetrack no, again. that's okay. What else, what other Stephen King things have we covered for this? For uh, any show? I don't think we have, to be quite honest. Really? Otherwise, I think a discussion about it would have taken huh. up most of the show, to be quite honest. I'm not sure if we have. It's good, I guess, that Charlize Theron is barely in this movie because we have plenty of time to talk about other things like a 10 film franchise based on the short story but okay, okay. give me a rundown of children of the corn right so i don't know if you've ever seen the bad seed or um, children of the damned i think that's what it's called but it's it's kind no. of like a takeoff of that it's like um this couple strolls into this Midwestern town and this town Gatlin I think is the name of it right in the story and Gatlin is very much like is it uh, in New England it's in New England is it in New England no I have I think it's in Nebraska the cornfields and everything like that Stephen King expanding his reach okay yeah and so this town is sort of cursed in the way I guess like Derry is cursed in In it it, in a way and uh, this, this this couple strolls into town and basically the children are possessed it seems and sort of like run the place and sacrifice so it's like a reverse it yeah it's like a reverse it where like right the kids are in charge and they sacrifice people to the cornfield to this deity called he who walks behind the rose which is sort of like the pennywise okay. i guess of of that village and linda hamilton is is in it huh. and she comes to town and it's my recollection they save the day but at the very end there's some kind of twist where they don't get away or something but it's mostly like killer kids in the cornfield coming alive and taking over the adults do they crucify adults in the first two movies too pretty sure yeah they don't turn into <laughs> scarecrows in quite the same way they do in this movie and run around in halloween masks but it's it's much more serious than this by this point we're the third movie in and the second one, to my recollection, is also out in the cornfield, so it's very much like a retread of the first movie. Cool. But yeah, it doesn't have Eli in it. It's got Malachi, Isaac, and some other kids, but... Lots of old biblical names, okay. Yeah, but not this guy. That is crazy to me. I thought these kids were holdovers, at least the... I don't know. I assume that they were in the first two movies, and that, you know, because they sort of hint at, and maybe we see in a dream, maybe them kill their parents or something... But mm-hmm. I would have I would have put money on the fact that they were at least from two, if not one and two. Well, I yeah, I mean, there's no connection basically to huh. any of the previous movies that I can see, other than thematically and by name. Like as far as characters are concerned, these are all new characters that I could tell. It's pretty well self-contained in that way. There's only one moment where Father Nolan is having nightmares, and they actually I think they cut the new kid into footage of the old movies oh. when. The the kids burst in and start massacring in that like sepia tone dream right right yeah okay yeah so they do a bit of a like a t uh, a bit of a fake out there but that's sort of like all of the callback that i could find um i mean the guy is you know the bad guy is called he who walks behind the rose but like he never shows up like he does in this movie at the end where he's like a full-on dark overlord from howard the duck type puppet thing (laughs) that's like 
attacking Charlize Theron. It is worth pointing out that this is not a very well-made movie. I thought a couple times, I'm like, did I miss something? And I rewound. I'm like, no, I just, like... So Eli kind of gathers an entire following. We don't see it happen. He just goes from being, like, this outcast to having, like, a, a flock, like a congregation, kind of, right? Yeah. Like, we don't see him recruiting people. No. He's super charismatic, but, right, most of it But he's takes... also a weirdo. Oh, he's a super weirdo. So, like, <laughs> him... So, like, when it opens, him and his brother, uh, we come to find out that that's not Joshua. even... Joshua. Yeah, so it's Eli and Joshua, but we come to find out that Joshua and his dad adopted Eli. Right. So, like, Eli gets double adopted in this film at one point, so the two boys get adopted by those parents in the city, in Chicago, right? They're... Like, I guess. I don't know. I think it's supposed I, I to be Chicago. This. Okay. So they go from the farm to the urban ghetto, pretty much. They like take the, a Greyhound bus up there, yeah. Yeah, and, he, and the little kid brings, like, his corn with him, and he plants it in the backyard, <laughs> and he's, yeah, and so, like, he's the possessed, he's, like, I guess he's the, sort of, like, the Randall flag, like, he's possessed by the demon and is, like, carrying out its bidding. That's what wow. I was sort of yeah. picking up like he is the corn master it's so weird like it's so weird <laughs> and he's got like magic he tortures the mom this entire movie up until the point where he Ugh. kills her in probably the coolest death in the movie he has that suitcase full of corn mm-hmm. but she opens it and it's a suitcase full of cockroaches yeah. and she freaks out and then another time this is also weird when they're going to school she gives Joshua a kiss on the cheek but doesn't kiss Eli because she's like this kid's super creepy we made a mistake and he's like are you gonna kiss me and she kisses him on the cheek and he sticks his tongue in her ear I'm like what is happening here and then from afar from school he basically possesses the corn right and chases her into this like shack and she stumbles over a lead pipe onto a water spigot, impaling herself <laughs> on the back of the head. And instead of having blood come out of her mouth, it's just water for a while and then blood. So I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, well, they, they live next door to an abandoned factory. Like, they live in, like, this beautiful <laughs> Victorian house, like, yes. in the middle of urban decay, basically. And it's like the Paper Street Soap Company house. Kind of. <laughs> it kind of is. And she looks outside and notices, like, her roses have died. And I guess that's kind of a Stephen King reference to there's a lot of red roses in, in sort of his stuff but I guess that's the enemy of the corn because the corn <laughs> has taken over and yeah she goes to investigate and the corn I love that though I love how like earlier the corn like ate a bum and starts growing out of its head and yeah. you, you know it's really campy and there's a lot of like just fun kind of effects going on like like when the mom eats it you know you totally just expect the blood to come out but the fact that the water comes first it's, like, it's a joke clear water <laughs> it's a total punchline you know i mean i i feel like they're like look this is part three we're probably not going to get to a part four like we don't have enough money to go to space so <laughs> like we got to go somewhere that's the opposite of like open fields and skies and you know wide open spaces let's try and do a, a very claustrophobic version of children of the corn <laughs> what i love about this movie in terms of what we've done here before is that we've done you know between cage keanu and shia over 200 episodes and we've done horror movies but they've been more psychological horror. Like, we've never done a straight-up, like, horror movie, horror franchise movie, campy movie. Like, this is new ground. Mm-hmm. It's so different from everything we've done, and it's just so funny. I wish Charlize was, like, the sister, like, the Maria role. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish she was in it more, as opposed to just being, and we'll get into this in a little bit, in a little bit like, a sex object, which... 
I understand this is a horror movie that is your first on-screen appearance. You know, you're just a pretty face. You want to, whatever, you're just going to do whatever you can. I wish that it had more for her to do than just objectify her. In terms of talking about the movie as a movie, I like that we're able to do this. Like, this is something that we haven't had at all throughout any of Cage or any of Keanu. This is at least in terms of her appearance level, I would say most like Fast Times in just like the blink and you'll miss her. Thematically, it's unlike anything we've done before and that makes me so excited. Maybe the closest thing I can compare it to is Drive Angry. Something along that line. But at that point in the game, Drive Angry, you know, it was trying to be a throwback to bad drive-in horror rock and roll films and stuff. But this was like the 90s. This was like pre-Scream. This was like sort of before the Renaissance hit where they were just turning stuff out on video and whatever franchise you could take, just bleed it to death. You know, just kick it until it can't breathe anymore. Uh, And that happened to a lot of franchises. I mean, sure, we haven't had a Friday the 13th in a few years, but there's been 12 of those movies out there. So, you know, it happens to the worst of them and the best of them. And here we are. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. It's a nice change of pace. It's a good sort of tonal shift. This movie's not taking itself seriously, so therefore it sort of welcomes you to find the problems and exploit them and have fun talking about it as well. Okay, so, so here's all you need to really know about the movie. The director of this movie agreed to make this movie without ever having seen the first two Children of the Corn movies. Oh, that's perfect. And that's all you need to know about the quality and commitment of the cast and crew to this production. Like, it's Oh, yeah, I've never seen those two, but I'll do it. Whatever, I don't care. (laughs) When I read that, I cracked up at it. It's obviously Charlize's first. It's also the first on-screen appearance for a lot of other actors I've never heard of. Like, I don't think I recognized... You're better than I am in terms of recognizing people from the 80s and 90s, but I didn't see anybody else in this movie that I I knew. Did you? The mom looked familiar, but I couldn't place her throughout the whole thing. That's about it, to be quite honest. That's the only person I could recognize. What I did like about the movie, and I sort of want to blow through my notes kind of quickly sure. as I just sort of the, the one-off notes. It has relations to two other movies that we've talked about recently. One we just did a podcast for that's going to come out in a couple months. The Informant. Isn't The Informant sort of about oh, corn? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, it's yeah. all about corn. That's right. Exactly. What I thought was really funny, uh, speaking <laughs> of movies with exclamations in the title, when they first get to the house... They come back from the bus station. They walk into the house. Within 30 seconds, Joshua breaks this crystal something or other. And I was like, oh, do you think that this is like the apple in the Garden of Eden from Mother? Like, oh, oh don't break awesome. the crystal thing. I wish it was that clever. But no, it just like, it just he's in the house for 30 seconds. He breaks the thing. This is also the funniest line in the movie, I think, just relating to this sort of, is that Eli is the creepiest kid. The dad is sort of following around Joshua a little bit, and the mom is following around Eli, and she's she knows how creepy this kid is already, or like, senses mm-hmm. something's off. Joshua literally goes next door to talk to this brother-sister, and then later, they're like, oh, Eli is such a prize, he's such a gem, but Joshua might need some discipline. Like, you could not be further (laughs) off, but, like, Joshua, you know, breaks the crystal thing and then walks next door, and they're like, oh, my God, can you believe how rebellious and evil this kid is? Like, oh, no, it's just Eli is, like, literally maybe Satan? I don't know. (laughs) No, yeah. There's something going on there. Yeah, Eli is certainly the omen, absolutely. That's, like, what they're (laughs) modeling him off of. But, like, dude, talk about, like, Josh, 
the dynamic is flipped, right? Like, he's the older brother, but he acts like he's the younger idiot brother. Whereas Eli's the younger brother, but we all know, like, he's basically ageless. He's been around for millennia, so he's clearly the older one and smarter and all this kind of thing. They had, It's really weird how they set up Josh in this movie, and then, like, three scenes later, he's totally acclimated to urban society, yep. like, playing yep. basketball and, like, dressing all oh, colorful. Oh, not, not playing different. basketball. Like, dominant at basketball. Yeah, like, white man can't jump at basketball. <laughs> like, Woody Harrelson yes. cutting loose. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Talk about the dad. This dad works, what, at, like, he trades commodities, and, like, his job There's, is... I wrote on the line, he says, I'm a commodities trader on the exchange. Yeah, and guess what he trades most? Corn. I don't know if he trades corn most, because the kid says to me about corn, he's like, oh, you know, I guess I do trade corn. Like, I think it's, like, one of many things he trades, but then later in the movie... Yeah, he tells the guy in his office, like, I was the guy who was able to unload all that corn that time, like, in that district that didn't need it, so (laughs) now you have to, like, you know, I'm cashing in my favor. Like, check out this corn my son grew in the empty lot next door. But does he say his son grew it, or he, like, takes credit for it? No, because the mom is, like, freaking out, like, telling the dad, you gotta see, like, what he's up to, and the dad's like, this is amazing, and he takes a bite out of raw corn, and he's People like, don't do that, right? No, that's you shouldn't do that. No. <laughs> like, I think you could break a tooth, too, aside from mm-hmm. just, like, all the other health issues with it. But, yeah, it's just bizarre. It's utterly insane and so charming in that way. Also, what's magic about the corn is that it's also made of cockroaches, kind of? That explains the briefcase transformation, right? Sure. Like, when, I guess, his corn can change from kernels to bugs and back again. And he, like, uses kernels to, like, cast spells. Like, he flicks them into dirt, and, like, that does things. Like, okay, so here's the, here's an important thing. This is something that happened quicker than I was expecting to happen. When we talked about people having sex on Cage Club, we talked about called compromising, because that was uh-huh. for The Boy in Blue. Yes. For Keanu Club, we talked about sipping tea with Miss McGill. Mm-hmm. For Zack Attack, for me and Joe, and you've been on there. I think you were on the, epi- yeah, you were on the episode yeah, where we coined quadruple spacing. Here, I think we might already have it. It's chewing the dirty corn. Oh, man. Should that be it <laughs> it's it until there's a better one well here's what happens in that scene like he's next door planting the corn and they cut between that and we find out the mom's having this pseudo psychosexual nightmare with her husband when they start like making out with dirt yes vomit mm-hmm. and everything and the dad is like laughing like hysterically and the mom is like freaking out and everything so there's some weird ritualistic shit going on there so i think either chewing the dirty corn or maybe dreaming about dirty corn hmm. one or the other Ooh, dirty corn is good though like i like dirty dirty corn incorporated doing, how about doing the dirty corn <laughs> oh my god our guests are going to be like, what have you been talking about? <laughs> Doing the dirty corn. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. There's a lot of dreams within a dream in this movie, too. Like, I don't remember mm-hmm. if that one's a dream within a dream. The one, I think, where Father Nolan is dreaming about the sepia dream where they, they Photoshop Eli into, like, the previous movie or whatever. He wakes up, and then Eli, like, flies at him, and he wakes up again. I was like, oh. Yeah. It's, like, can you imagine if Christopher Nolan saw this movie? He's like, dream within a dream. Interesting. <laughs> I was just kind of upset they didn't run with that even further I mean that should have been Eli's power right why not just have him be like a dream master where he can invade people's minds full on uh, and just do it at night and that's how he converts all the students I mean it could have been a cool full on explain I mean they're not explaining any of his powers he draws a <laughs> he draws a picture of his family and puts a big red uh, a big black X on the mom and that's yep. how, and then she dies in the warehouse yep. so but never does that again right yeah they're all one 
one-off abilities. Like, he only has the, can only do them once. <laughs> I wonder if they don't do the dreams just because that's what Freddy Krueger does. You know what I mean? Like, mm. we're already kind of a slasher film, sort of. It's kind of more like headspace. Like, it's not, like, there are, like, there are definitely lots of blood and, you know, actual slashing and stuff later on. There's like, some, ins- I think there's some pretty insane kills in this movie, and people get it that I wasn't expecting to get it in the end here. Well, like, everybody dies, sort of. Just about. A lot of people die. But, like, that social worker gets the Raiders of the Lost Ark death where her entire <laughs> head catches on fire and melts down to her skull. I wasn't expecting that again. Like, why did that happen? Because she in- was investigating where Eli came from and got, like, this file on him and was about to mail it, which eventually does get mailed anyway, and she's, like, lighting a cigarette and Eli is invading her mind and causes the fire <laughs> to spread to her head or something, or she sucks it up and her head explodes, and she's seeing Eli in a waking dream somehow he's causing her to die because she's on to him it's all so weird and like <laughs> it seems like his plan for father nolan is just to kind of like make him like to sort of gaslight him and think he make, he, yeah. make him think he's crazy right does he die or no uh i believe he dies yeah but that oh i don't know if you know salem's lot at all but like that kind of happens in salem's lot where like vampires take over a town and just kind of drive the priest insane until he leaves huh. town basically okay. like he just gets on a bus and and decides not to fight uh, so I, I was taking that to be this guy whoever wrote this I feel like he knew some of Stephen King's other works and tried to develop this into some sort of like not expanded universe but drop easter eggs in there if you're looking for them like the priest character he's just grabbing things from whatever and just seeing what sticks and like <laughs> I don't know that any of it does but like it kind of also doesn't like it all just sort of works and like it works enough to be like oh that's kind of interesting yeah I mean this could never be the first of a series I think for what it is like for for like a early 90s special basically a, a sizzle reel for these guys like whatever special effects company this is like that's right. basically what this is it's like a it's like a creature feature without the creature basically like there's all well, this there is a creature there is a creature eventually at the very end but mostly when you have like the corn attacking like a lot of people just die not by corn they don't die you know it's like accidents or they get strung up or well the one mom i guess she eats bug corn and then like her head cracks open that was I bizarre no idea. <laughs> That was very strange, but it just kind of seems like, let's have fun, uh, let's go all out, because we, you know, none of us may ever get the chance to do this again. There are shots and stuff that, like, the, the special effects are really cool, and there are shots where you're like, oh, they just ran out of money. Like, there's one near the end where Maria, the sister from next door, is getting picked up by the monster to be eaten, and it, <laughs> yes. they didn't fix this. It's literally like a Barbie doll yep. being picked up in two different shots, from two different angles. It's just a Barbie doll. I wonder if that's in intentional or if that's just like a oh like we literally just don't have money we can't fix it we'll just leave it in there yeah that seems like a compromise (laughs) with like a lot of sort of spirit behind it where it's like look let's own up to this we're just we're not creating high art here like we just want to have this movie out and get it out and people to enjoy it and i think that's very charming to a degree like is it good no by no means am i giving it a pass or anything but (laughs) i give the filmmakers a lot of credit for owning up to what they're making here and it's fun which is important like, yeah. the last show that we were going to do, the podcast, Ben Affleck podcast, we watched the first episode, which we may release in some form or some fashion or whatever, and that movie was abysmal. Mm. Like, it was just oh. rough to get through. This movie flies by. Yeah. Like, they're just not 
there's no connective tissue. They're just going from like crazy thing to person going crazy to like gruesome death to kid being creepy to kid giving a sermon in church to Father Nolan talking to the other priest at school and they're like, oh, things are so good. Like, you notice how like nobody's doing drugs? Like, everybody's acting so good because like they're all brainwashed. Like, there's nothing, there's no downtime here. Like, no scene really connects to the one before or after, but they all kind of sort of do? It keeps itself moving, right? And like, that's why it makes it to the end of the finish line i feel right like if they're like each scene sort of like adds or develops to it even if it's stupid the dad for instance like you find out he ends up actually selling his son's corn overseas and like the very last shot you find out the corn gets away and it's in germany here's a question for you does that set up children in the corn no or no not at all (laughs) (laughs) not to my knowledge not to my recollection okay Okay. but just like wild stuff like that that then after that the dad sort of like disappears for most of the movie and as soon as he reappears like eli's got his cult together you're right like that mostly happens off screen we see him convert one switchblade guy or butterfly knife kid we see him sort of convert him but the dad like shows back up after like a half hour just to get murdered by his son's like crew it's just very strange but like yeah there's so much going on like so many things are happening (laughs) you kind of don't have time to like stop and think about what is actually good or bad sometimes you just have to like go with it it just it just keeps it moving it feels like this movie was originally two or two and a half hours like no this needs to be 90 minutes like I don't care what you cut (laughs) out but like get it down to 90 minutes and they're like all right I was shocked when Josh and Malcolm go back to the beginning to like the trailer where the movie started they like go back to there with like 20 minutes I'm like isn't this movie wrapping (laughs) up like what is happening like you're so right it did it totally felt like maybe they didn't shoot it but in the script stage there seems like there's much more space here at this part like this was not supposed to go so fast but it's amazing when they get back there and they're they're looking for like the corn bible that's when the scarecrow dad comes back to life and it's literally like a guy running around with like a party city mask like on (laughs) And then Malcolm gets it, which I was not expecting, and, and his death is, like, super bizarre and gruesome. Yeah, explain, describe his death. The corn grabs him by his arms and legs. Which happens all the time in this movie. Like, they're always, like, tendrils. Yeah, everybody gets, like, sodomized by the corn in this. But then it sort of, like, grabs his head and pulls it up out of his body till his spine is exposed, but it just keeps going and going until it's, like, a Malcolm stalk of corn or something like that. <laughs> it's just super hard to describe it it's like one of those things where like you can't really tell what you're looking at exactly but it's bizarre as can be i don't know how they came up with that i don't know but there is good stuff in here. like i feel like especially in the 90s i don't know maybe today too i don't know i feel like it's a little bit different now but like i feel like in the peak of all these horror franchises like nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th and halloween and i guess also children of the corn like all you need to make a movie to write a movie is like how can i have a couple cool corn deaths you know what i mean like <laughs> farm barn factory stuff like if I, if I have like three or four cool ideas ah, i'll just figure out the rest of it later like it's fine but like if yeah. you have like a couple things like oh his spine becomes a stalk of corn or whatever it's like oh that's cool like i can see that like yeah green light go ahead here's here's two million dollars go make the movie on one hand i think you're right like that that is a great basis for sort of the genesis of of the project but i think it really needs like some of those characters to work as well so that those deaths are more than just cool to look at like i didn't really feel and i mean eventually when the priest died i was like yeah that guy you know they really fucked with him too much like i'm glad he's out of his misery but for the most part like when eli dies i'm like 
all right, whatever. Like, he was a brat. If Josh were to die, I would not really... Like, when Malcolm died, I was surprised, but I wasn't like, oh, man, like, I was so attached to Malcolm. Like, he was my favorite character. Uh, It's just, it's too bad that it didn't have, like, the writing to back up their cool ideas because there are cool ideas flying around in here there's just not a lot of control happening really but that's i think that's totally fine i'm i'm okay with it i mean even when eli launches a full-on street fighter 2 fireball at his brother towards the end from the site i'm like oh the site shoots fireballs now like okay and not only that but the book can like reflect them and shoot them back like it's like a counterattack. Yeah. Like, it's these things that like have never been shown before that there's no indication that they can happen and they're like oh I, yeah that sure that makes sense it's so funny almost that is like definitely feeling feeling out their audience where it's like yeah we're definitely <laughs> they're coming right from the arcade to come see this movie at the mall yeah. so they've just played this game and they're gonna lose their minds when they see this happen but I don't think anyone showed up so <laughs> no one got to see it until now so the reason that we saw it now the reason that we're talking at the stage because Charlize Theron is one of Eli's followers. She is uncredited. I forgot she was uncredited and then when I was watching the opening credits and her name wasn't in there I was like, oh, that's not a good sign. And then <laughs> I think she was only added after the fact because like, huh. I mean I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how that works but like if you're not credited, IMDb is not going to list you. Like, it has to be added by someone I would think. Right? Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, because she's basically an extra for the most right. part. Like a she's a featured maybe? extra. She's a, a, featured she's a extra. pretty blonde girl. Yeah, and there's a couple times where in there's just these sort of, to be quite honest, like they feel like they were shot after the movie where there's just cutaways to a lot of his followers just so that we show... With their face taking up the entire screen. Yeah, extreme close-ups, like Jonathan Demme-style, like Hannibal Lecter close-ups at times. But I feel like those are added as well just to sort of beef up his flock a little bit and flesh it out <laughs> and say there were more people here than when there was when we were actually filming all of this. Because I think that was the first time we see her. It's like 54 minutes in, they're in church. This is after he's given a sermon and made Father Nolan really upset, but they're just sort of sh- like cutting around, and she's just staring like sort of blankly, looking exactly like she sort of does now, right? Like very yeah. recognizable, actually. Extremely. So this movie came out in 95. She was born in 75, but it was shot in 93. So she was like 18, 19 when this okay. movie was shot. Oh, so. that's, that's something else I want to bring up real quick. This is not Children of the Corn. This is Teenagers of the Corn. Yes. Like all well, of these kids. <laughs> yeah, but he's like 12 or 13, I think. Yeah. Right? And the rest of them are like... Tween of the corn. Tween of the corn. There it is. But Charlie's, I think the first time we see her is like 54 minutes, and then she sort of goes away. At the end, he sort of has like a... kind of feels like a satanic ritual right when joshua shows up again it's the harvest moon right like so that that's the other big sort of Mm -hmm. part of the mythology is like every time the harvest moon you can summon he who walks behind the rose and then he will come and i guess devour the world i don't exactly understand what they plan to gain from summoning a demon that lives beyond our universe i don't know what's going to happen with all that i mean we get a glimpse of him they're all into it they are down as can be yeah and she's there and i was like i don't know if she like I, I figured she was there, but I didn't mm-hmm. see her for a while. Then she shows up, like, oh, there she is. And then we get, remarkably, first movie, we get first death. I don't know that she's going to... I don't know that she dies again in another movie. Well, she dies. We, we've we seen her die in... A, in Sweet November? Well, no, we don't see her die in that, but we saw her die in Devil's Advocate. Oh, we, okay. So both maybe both Keanu... Well, so, yeah, okay. And I'm, I'm aware of at least one more death of hers in, in the future. Is it, a, is it as good or gruesome of a death as this one? No way. This is a kind of a big death. What a way to go, man. Like, I'd <laughs> want to be eaten by, like, an interdimensional Cthulhu Cthulhu thingamabob from beyond. It sure is terrifying. I'm sure I'd have a heart attack before 
sword actually ate me. What a way to go, right? I guess. I think why I'm not remembering the Devil's Advocate death is because that's all in a flashback. That's all in a dream. Like, she's still alive at the end of that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, technically you're right. They, they do hit a reset button <laughs> at, towards the end of that one. So in this one, they so she gets, like, all vined up. It's funny, I was just watching The Ruins, and this is semi-spoiler for The Ruins or whatever if you haven't seen The Ruins, but, like, plants are involved, and it gets very sort of body horror. This was definitely like that, and, you know, the, the vines are going up everybody, and, like, the one girl gets, like, eaten, and Josh, like, cuts her out of, like, the main vein. Maria, yep. Mm-hmm. Maria, yeah, that was crazy. I was like, oh, man. With with the scythe, with the thing that's, like, used as a weapon, he yep. uses to rescue her in this movie. That was a crazy visual on top of a crazy... I mean, that was right after the Barbie doll of her got eaten. <laughs> she goes, like, through the whole digestive track of this thing. How does the monster die? Oh. I don't know. Because I don't think they show yeah. it. I think the monster just dies. Or is, is it because when Eli dies, it dies? No, so, like, Eli died, and then the monster sort of, like, came out of him, is what I took it to be. It was oh, like, right, yeah, okay, yeah. And then there's one line that sounds like a total ADR where Josh and Maria are like, you have to cut the main vein. And they just, like, pick at it with the scythe, and it decomposed so easily. Yeah. Uh, and it just, yeah, it just sort of turns to dust and dies, like in a blink it was very anticlimactic there you know i expected it to explode or at least catch on fire nope. or and have some people running around on fire for a second in this climactic scene one thing i want to talk about which is i think something we're going to need to track throughout watch the throne unfortunately the objectification of charlie Theron mm-hmm. in cage club in zack attack not really Keanu Club as much, although sometimes both of those guys would go shirtless and we'd be like, look, like they're, you know, giving the ladies what they want. You know, it's this guy, like it's, you know, either Zac Efron in peak physical condition now, or we have Cage as young Cage, whatever, going shirtless. Like, look at them, you know, guys, whatever, doing their thing. Here, Charlize, I understand that's a horror movie. I understand that, especially in the 90s, like in a slasher movie, there's going to be, and there's actually not really gratuitous nudity in this, which is sort of no. surprising. Yeah. Especially because we're looking for Charlize. There's one point where at the end, the corn tendrils grab her and pull her to the ground, and like there's an upskirt shot, and it's like, uh, like it doesn't feel like it needs to be. And like there's another scene, another shot, a couple shots later where like the vines are sort of like groping her, kind of, and it's just like, oh, like it's, it's unfortunate, yeah. especially when we're watching for her. Especially when you consider the fact that this is a Miramax movie, a Harvey Weinstein movie, Oy. and that all came out as we're recording this recently, and so it's just like, oh, like I feel like that's what's sort of difficult or different, especially between actors we've covered and an actress, is that like I think there's this assumption or expectation that they're either going to be nude or that they're going to be objectified. We talked about in Cage Club all the time, right, about how until Amber Heard and Drive Angry, like, there were really very, very few strong female characters. Mm-hmm. In, you know, in rom-com sometimes, like, Bridget Fonda, it could happen to you. Like, there are good examples, but for the most part, not a lot of good examples. Here, where we're focusing on an actress from movie to movie, yes, she's very pretty. She's gorgeous. You know, she's 18 years old here. You know, you want to sort of sex up your movie a little bit, whatever. But, like, it's just tough and it's difficult and it's, like... I know that, you know, in later movies like in The Devil's Advocate and also from this year, like in Atomic Blonde, she's going to go naked. It's something that I think we have to comment on, and I don't want to be creepy about it. I want to I want to sort of look at it like from a, did she need to do that? Right. Do you think she was pressured into it? Like Atomic Blonde now, especially, you know, Charlize as like megastar, like there's no way like if, if she's like, I'm not going to do that, they're like, all right, like fine, that's oh, totally yeah. fine. She's like, a producer of that movie, so she had right. 
control of her image. Here, I feel like she didn't have a say. You know what I mean? Because they could be like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll just grab one of the other dozens or hundreds of pretty blonde girls who will, like, wear a short dress and, like, you know, we'll be able to see their legs. or You know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like here it just feels icky. And I know that's kind of the type of movie this is, but it's just unfortunate that our first exposure to Charlize, when she's on screen for less than 30 seconds, we see her in two <laughs> different shots where it's just like, oh, Charlize, things are going to get better, I promise. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm coming from the same place as you are. I feel I agree with everything you said, and I, I don't know, I mean, I felt that it was just a very unfortunate camera angle, you know, like, it's a very unflattering shot. It didn't seem like it was set up to be like, oh, let's get an upskirt shot by any means. It just kind of felt like it it just kind of like got snuck in there or something it was it was kind of strange i actually didn't know it was her until you sent the screen grab and was like oh man i thought it was one of the other girls because there's like one or two other sort of tall blonde girls in the cult and i was like is that her getting murdered by the plant monster or not and i wasn't sure yeah i definitely did not think that it added to anything going on here like this is this wasn't exactly a moment where i needed to be aroused in any in any way like that like it's more of like i was more or less laughing at like just the carnage and madness happening and everything it's chaos when this is like everybody is getting killed extremely yeah what's weird about this movie is that like at no point you could if you wanted show boobs in your movie or whatever you could have a corn tendril like rip a girl's shirt right. you know what I mean like yeah. it's not that like they're not doing that it's just like she falls down isn't wearing pants and it's like oh there's her underwear like it's just oh yeah and the movie seemed to go to a length I'm not going to say it went to extremes or anything but it, it it had an attempt at actually crafting a genuine relationship story between Josh and Maria with yeah. the brother finding out you know so I feel like they were kind of careful about what they were doing it's almost feels more of like a pg-ish horror type stuff than like a hard r or anything so who knows if it was just like an asshole dp that was like now lie down and further further you know was just being like a lecherous jerk ass and like you know those are the type of people causing all these problems and shit like taking advantage of someone who's never been on camera before i mean that is you know you have to say that is a possibility it's unfortunate and hopefully moving forward like everything that she exposes is because she you know it's within her control i don't i don't feel like that was intentional i feel like that just kind of maybe just got like was a gaff that kind of slipped through the cracks or who knows i get i it just like it's literally two shots it's like three seconds on screen that like the only reason i noticed it and like registered it is because i was looking for her you know what i mean like if it was just like Mm -hmm. carnage i would have been like oh what like it's just okay that's that's what that's what it is like it's just because like you know a couple shots later she's like spitting out blood and she's just like it's like yeah that was her death which is cool (laughs) it's just like it's literally three seconds i'm just like oh and what's what's amazing to me transitioning from this a little bit is that we go from this to two days in the valley which is literally her next credit on mdb there's not like it's not like keanu where there's tv stuff in the beginning i mean she might have done commercial work she might have done print modeling i don't know but like in terms of credited acting yeah she goes from this to two days in the valley where I, we were saying you know before we start recording i've never seen that movie she's like eighth build but she's like in the banner on Amazon Prime mm-hmm. like they, it's, it's yeah. available for, for, for free on Prime Video and like she's there and like the third or fourth movie within the first five movies she's at least the leading lady like third build in two of them so like her ascension from being a featured extra to basically female lead is 
remarkably quick. Like, it's cage-level quick. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yeah. Good comparison. It's it's not like Keanu had to sort of grind and, you know, listen to the Hoffman mm-hmm. guys. Like, as we're recording, this, like, 33 movies in, and they were just talking about how he's been the leading man in, like, four movies. And, like, I know his career is completely different, and that's sort of what they're, what interests them about it. But, like, he sort of had to struggle and work to get sort of prominence. I think, you know, being able to work with Paul Thomas Anderson made his career sort of what it was. You know, obviously he was always going to be good, but it was, like, that exposure to these, like, really big art house directors. Here, I mean, I don't know what happened between Pretty Blonde Girl getting murdered to on the Amazon image, then leading lady. Like, that's so quick. Like, I want to I do some research between this episode and the next one to see, like, was she someone before she started? I, I don't know how she gets from point A to point B, like, in a matter of a year or two. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of just like a meteoric rise to fame in that way. She just kind of breaks out on the scene as this fresh new face, like, new new actress, like, new person in town. Like, here we go. It's, it's kind of remarkable. Yeah. I have seen Two Days in the Valley, uh, and not to give too much away, like, it is sort of more of, like, this ensemble piece in a lot of ways and there's a lot of strong performances I I think the movie has kind of like people love it or hate it in in ways but I remember really liking it and there are a lot of strong performances and she does stand out in in a lot of ways so maybe just off the back of that people saw her and needed to have her in their movies or she just started nailing auditions or getting more callbacks but it's really awesome it is great that we don't have to sort of wade through a bunch of high school films or maybe for TV stuff or anything like that. Like, we are just going to be off to the races, like, right here at the beginning. We were looking before we started. I'd seen about a third of her movies, but I was just sort of expecting her to have uh, at least three or four movies where she's just sort of around but not the star. But, like, if you look, mm-hmm. like, Devil's Advocate is, like, sixth. Like, it's... And, like, she's <laughs> great. And, like, that's, like, the first one of yeah. her I think I've seen before we started this. But, like, I would have thought that would have been, like, ten years into her career. You know what I mean? But, like, it's mm-hmm. two or three years. Like, it's so fast and she's so good so early this is almost like such a good pick that like sort of slid under our radar you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i can't believe that we didn't think to do her before because it's like good roles i mean i'm sure there's gonna be some turds down the line that were maybe or movies that she's (laughs) or movies that she's not in a lot of or whatever but like we're off to the races from you know episode two yeah i mean looking at the list like the ones that I have seen I'm pretty excited to watch again the ones I haven't there's a few that look like they're gonna be fun to watch I mean like look I, I've never seen Eon Flux I've always wanted to Neither see Eon I. Flux <laughs> I, I cannot wait for that episode you know so I mean I feel like sure we're gonna have a handful of stuff where it might be a feeling Minnesota here or there uh-huh. but at least she's gonna be in it and good you know presumably good in it you know Keanu right. was good in that role even if the movie sucked I I don't predict a lot of like cameo appearances or things of that manner. I, I feel like she's just going to really be like the strong showing like in all of her film work and stuff. So I think the only thing we really have to worry about is uh, like the scripts that she chooses. Yep. You know, the things that we're not aware of that don't look good. And there's not a lot of them, I have to say. Like, I'm very hopeful this time around. You know, for more than one reason, like, I feel like this is a, a good decision. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm very excited. And like the, the things that I know that I've seen like I can't remember her being bad in anything and like the stuff that like I've seen of hers 
I either love and think it's a great movie, which, you know, obviously like Mad Max or Atomic Blonde or whatever, or it's a movie that I think is maybe not great, but I still like, you know, like Hancock, which I haven't seen Hancock mm-hmm. in six or seven years, but like, yeah, I'm really excited, I'm really excited to see Han- Hancock. Yeah. Was that written by Vince Gilligan, right? Like, I think Oh my gosh, I, you might be right, yeah. And I then think so, which is... Peter Berg. And then he went on to go create... That's a... Whew, Hancock, you know, you got two soon. very strong creators there, especially TV now. Peter Berg also doing like a lot of stuff in television. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that also. Even stuff like Astronaut's Wife, I'm looking forward to revisiting it. I mean, I know I didn't enjoy it the first time, but I know what it is this time around, so I'm looking forward to like watching it in a new way. I'm just looking forward to a lot of stuff. I'm just very excited that, well, I don't want to say I'm excited about what happened in the news or anything, but I'm just glad that, you know, what we're doing, we're glad that we found something that we could do together that we want to do and have yeah. fun have fun with because like i do think that affleck's career is interesting to look at and i do think that he fits that pattern that we were doing really well but i also feel like a lot of his movies are probably really similar here we'll see i mean but i'm i'm excited i'm, I'm really i'm really psyched that we switched from affleck to charlie's and i'm really looking forward to continuing on this journey one thing that we did not switch from though is we are keeping our game we are keeping the recast game which we played on on the episode of the podcast that you have not heard and you may not hear, the recast game is where we take the movie that we just watched and pretend that we're remaking it today and recast everyone, uh, the major characters at least, uh, in today's actors. One thing I want to say is that we are recording these a little bit in advance. Where This is the middle of October right now, so this is a perfect movie to watch in October in terms of horror. This actually yes. might be the first horror movie, or one of the first horror movies I've seen this month, which is really? pretty cool that we got to... Yeah, I haven't been watching a lot of horror. I, I rewatched Raw, which I love, but okay. uh, Raw and this, so maybe it's going to kickstart my heart and see more <laughs> horror movies. I've watched a lot, and I'll recommend Dr. Giggles. It's okay. my favorite. That and Lake Mungo. That scared the shit out of me. Oh my Lake god. Mungo uh, a favorite of now and again host Chris Mattiello and uh, he will be on Watch the Throne uh, three times down the line for some pretty big movies from what I remember so he will be back but yeah Lake Mungo go see that approved by three podcast hosts on this network but so for the recast game what I was saying is that we're watching this a little in advance but we have an email address for the show if you want to write in the email address is watch at cageclub.me so email in this is our Charlize Theron email address if you want to talk about the movies, if you want to talk about the podcast, if you want to talk about uh, who you would recast in these movies, if you want to yeah. talk about how our recast picks are good or bad, if you want to just say hi, whatever, watch at cageclub.me. We will read them on air as we get them. You might Eventually. not hear a response <laughs> for a while, but we will get to you. It'll be fun to be like, oh, right, remember when we talked about Children of the Corn two months ago? Well, Yeah, we could know, do mini recaps or something during the yeah. mailbag. Recast game, we have seven characters that we're recasting. Let's work our way from smaller role to the top. How about okay. that? Sounds good. So the first one, uh, do you want to do Malcolm and Maria, the brother and sister, next door neighbors? Yeah, let's do them one at a time, though. So okay. we kind of like stretch the reveals a little bit. So okay. I realized while doing this, so we did this for the Affleck game, and we talked about some you know limitations. I realized, right. at least in my brain, there's two shortcomings, at least okay. in terms of what I've seen. Number one is creepy kids. Uh, yes. I, need, I need to know more creepy kids. That's number mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And number two, which is, you know, not a joke, which is actually serious. And, you know, I don't know enough young 
black actors. Like, I wish that I knew more. Like, I sort of had to, like, really think about Malcolm, because Malcolm and Maria are... That's the other thing about this movie, is that, like, you know, they're Amish. They're basically Amish kids. Like, they get teased for being Amish, moving from Nebraska to Chicago. And aside from the main family, everybody else in this movie pretty much is black, which is except sort of, Except for Charlize, like, yeah, and Except the for Charlize. It's just mm-hmm. like, hey, well, like, look, you're in the city now, boy. Like, they... Like, in the classroom, the entire school is black. Yeah, I mean, there's, like... There's all that hip-hop playing, like, as yeah. the score and everything. If it's not that crazy choir, which is totally omen, then it's like this MIDI music. Yep. <laughs> uh, and the uh, big difference, aside from basketball, uh, is that uh, he's like, why is your hat on backwards? It's just like, oh, oh boys. Like, <laughs> uh, that was an actual question that was asked in this movie. Anyway, I don't know enough creepy kids, and I feel like we're going to go to the same well a lot, even though for this one I did it's something a little bit different. Okay. But, you know, young black actors, I feel like there's just... And that's, you know, something that we we know is true, that there's not enough, like, opportunities in Hollywood for young black actors and actresses. And, like, shows like Empire, like, I'm just not watching. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's I'm sure that there are a lot out there that I just don't know. But in yeah. terms of, like, I w- it's, it's hard to come up with actors, and that, that sort of makes me sad. Yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm in the same boat, but also just any young actor, I've been having trouble, like, coming up with, like, the new breed. Like, I just don't really recognize them yet if I know them. I know Tom Holland because he's Spider-Man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I could pick him out of a lineup, but a lot of these other youngsters, I just don't really know their work yet. I mean, I've seen a a bunch of episodes of like Blackish, and um, yep. I've started watching Atlanta, and you know I watch a couple other sitcoms from time to time. Seen a lot of Nickelodeon stuff because of my niece and nephew, but none of the names are like sticking or clicking right. or anything yep. yet. It's just. I feel like I I just don't have enough exposure to it yet. It's interesting that you say Tom Holland. We'll get to it in a little bit. Not because of Tom Holland, but you'll see. Okay, so for Maria, let's go Maria. We talked about Maria a lot of this episode. Maria is the love interest of Joshua. She gets eaten by the monster and scythed out of his belly. Who did you cast for Maria? I didn't realize that this, I I was sort of foreshadowing it myself, but I have to go with Zendaya from Homecoming. I like that a lot. That's a really good pick. I thought of her because she's got a lot of, like, attitude and she also like is pretty vulnerable and I feel like she could have been tough but also been in distress and needed to be saved man that's a good pick I like that better than mine I originally had your pick from the dark end of the street uh, Sasha Lane from American Honey but then I changed to Zoe Kravitz I think Zoe Kravitz could do that role oh yeah I actually had her in my mind I I wasn't sure about ages I actually casted older for some of them to play almost all of my people are too old for the parts like almost (laughs) across the board everybody's about five or ten years too old but I do like that because I I got that vibe from Mm -hmm. the girl that actually played Maria so Malcolm her older brother protective gets killed into a corn of the cob skeleton Malcolm stock who'd you put for Malcolm okay so I had this one in my pocket because uh, we never made it to the Voyage of the Mimi episode. Oh, but, right, okay. Uh, I'm bringing this actor for here, and I'm going with Jaden Smith. I love it. What Say what you want about his public image. Like, the couple of acting roles he's done, he's actually not that bad an actor. I, I think that he's pretty strong at times, and I think this would be kind of fun. He could just be weird as hell in this role. So how about... If I can recast your recast, why don't you cast Jaden and Willow Smith as brothers? I had Willow because I didn't know <laughs> if she was an actor. I, I don't know. You, I feel like for this game, you can pick anybody or anything. Like, I was trying to think, I was trying to think for Malcolm, like, if there's, like, an athlete that I could do, that sort of, you know, charismatic athlete oh. that I could put in. Yeah, it's not limited to actors. If you want to just say, like, you know, when we, when we get to so Eli, funny. you're going to see that I'm already bending the rules. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you can pick anybody or anything. So if you want to do Willow, 
by all means do Willow. Also, right. you know who would be good? I don't know her name for the sister would be the girl who played Rue in Hunger Games. Oh, I also had the one who was the Vulture's daughter, Laura Harrier. And all my oh. all my teenagers are Everybody's like coming Spider-Man. from that same movie. <laughs> yep. For Malcolm, again, too old probably, but I did Trevante Rhodes, who plays Black in Moonlight. Oh, dude. Yeah, I, I actually like right? that because of like there's some real innocence to his character in that movie that feels like he could play younger. I and I see looked that. him up. He was born in 1990, so it would be oh. like he's 27 now, so he's not crazy old. No. I mean, he's probably a little bit too old for high school, but like it's close enough. I'm like, I, I like it. And like, these aren't children of the corn anyway, by part three. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. Who did I have there? Oh, I had Donald Glover there originally. You were, so, you were talking about Atlanta before. It didn't feel right. Like, I'm going to use Donald Glover for something mm. down the line, but for this one, Trevante Rhodes was my pick. Cool, cool. Father Nolan. Okay. So I fretted over this one. I had like three or four choices, but yep. ultimately I had to go with someone I really wanted to see play this role and that is Nick Offerman oh that's really good I want to see him lose it you know and like kind of go nuts and preach and all that stuff I think it would be kind of fun you know I have a Nick too but it's Nick Olas Cage oh dude (laughs) he would have ruled (laughs) he could rule and freak out so much I wasn't sure who to cast until he starts to go crazy and I was like oh it's Nicolas Cage and like we've seen him in priest garb in face off We've seen yeah. him, you know, lose his mind. Uh, it's not a huge role. It's sort of perfect right in line for 2017 Nicolas Cage. He's about that age, I think. I was like, oh, this has to be it. I, I feel like I'm going to cast Nicolas Cage in a lot of movies for obvious <laughs> reasons. But um, Yeah, I tried yeah. to sort of do, for some of my casting, like I, I want to, I'm almost doing this. So maybe I have Soderbergh's uh, informant on my mind a little bit. I was thinking a little like, who could play sort of against type or like, Take a yeah. comedic guy and have him do something else. Like I like it. My other picks for this role were J.K. Simmons and Stephen Root, but uh, I, I don't know about that. I like Nick Offerman all the way. I like Nick Offerman too. And again, there's no wrong choices. Just of course, no. It's, and like that's it. Yeah, that's the one I like. So now for mom and dad, um, okay. I'm going to give you my picks together. Okay. Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I almost did Marissa Tomei, but that's great. I love she that. Kinda, That's so much the actress, better than mine. So my thing, my thing with this is that I'm going to cast a lot of people who kind of look like the part, and she kind of looks a little bit like Marissa Tomei in this movie. Mm-hmm. And they also make a joke about how, like, oh, you're too young to be the mom of a teenager. And I was like, oh, as soon as he said that line, I was like, oh, that's Robert Downey hitting on her in Spider-Man. I want to see them in a movie together that's as great. a married couple. That's, I mean, that's what I wanted. So they'd Mom be great because Downey would be like that, totally absorbed with his work, type yep. of ignorant to what his kids are doing, father figure thing, and that would be great. Oh, I love it. And then when he finds out, I could see him like drinking when he finds out about what's going on next yeah. in the abandoned lot. Like, what's going on around here? What's here? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be awesome. So, who are your mom and dad? Okay, so again, I, I kind of went more of like with comedic actors here playing sort of trying to play it straight i went with Kristen wig and adam scott oh okay i was like i'd like to see them tear it up together because Kristen wig has done a lot of good serious dramatic stuff you know as well i think maybe her dramatic work i enjoy a little more and adam scott you know he was a serious actor turned turned comedic comedic actor actor. (laughs) to see him i think he would fit in something like this it has a very sort of krampus feel at times to it with like the gags and and like the mass confusion. So that's my mom and dad. I was thinking when you were saying, you know, Kristen Wiig, I thought you were saying Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader together, sort of like the Skeleton Twins, but 
but a married couple. <laughs> oh, that would be good. That's not bad. But I like that. Okay, Joshua, older brother. And he okay. lives through the movie. He's like one of the only people. He and Maria are the only people, I think, really who live, right? I guess you could say he's the protagonist. Like, he's the hero. He's he comes the... out of nowhere to be the hero, yeah. But it's like sort of about him from the start. Like, he's the first guy you see getting chased by his dad and everything yep. and kicks off the whole movie. Okay, so this one was kind of tough for me. I just did not know where to go with this. And it's maybe the one that's going to have to play a little younger for me. But okay, so I went with Harry Styles. Okay. You know who I would... Uh, you know, it's weird. I was going to do uh, Barry Keoghan, who is also in Dunkirk. Oh. Uh, he is also in The Killing of Sacred Deer. But I was like, he's a little too old. What I went with is Jesse McCartney. I recently saw as Braden in Summerland, the Zac Efron TV show, but also, you know, singer-songwriter sort of actor. He's kind of got that, like, blonde pretty boy affectation probably too old but i think it would work i think i can see both of them him and harry styles in this older brother role nice i'm not aware of that actor so i don't know his work or he's more of a singer he's like a sort of a a, a early 2000s teen girl heartthrob so i think it just sort of missed your wheelhouse there's there's absolutely no reason why you should know who jesse mccartney is (laughs) okay i'm a little more relieved now because i'm scrolling through imdb frantically trying to figure out who this guy is uh, yeah, he was just uh, one of the stars of Summerland, the, the Zac Efron show that we watched 26 hours of for Zac Attack, which was actually a really good episode. Uh, so go check out the Summerland episode of Zac Attack. Eli, the star oh. of this movie, kind of. Sort Creepy of. kid. Who is your Eli? I was going to go with who I used for the Lost Pilot episode, but I feel like that kid's too young. Originally, I had Georgie from It yeah. uh, playing it, but I feel like that kid's too young, and I don't yep. know what he's capable of. So, I mean, again, my reference point here is I'm basically picking a kid from Stranger Things. Like, I okay. went, to, went to Stranger Things, and this is another kid. This is who I felt was like I was watching the most with interest on that show is the kid Gaten Matarazzo. I can't pronounce his last name, but basically the kid with like the missing front teeth. Yeah, um, okay. Fr- from Stranger Things, mm-hmm. I think that kid would like really bring some like really weird twist to this role. Just like I like it. I think he could be like cuter than this Eli. You know, like this Eli never tried to get on anyone's good side and deceive him. He was all about like I'm evil, bitch, or whatever. And I think which like this for him, which worked yeah, though. It worked, yeah, but I mean, I feel like he could have had a bigger flock if he like sort of sweetened up to some people first and like had different. This this kid could sort of bring a different dimension to the character. But then I also feel like he could also like yell at the top of his lungs and be really scary as well sure. because he's kind of weird looking also. So he's sort of got like that. You know, you trust him, but you kind of don't look to him and. That, that's who I eventually settled on. It's weird that you went with, you were going to go with Georgie, because I was originally going to go with the guy who plays Henry in the book of Henry, and also the, the main kid in It. He was on my mind from the Ben Affleck pilot as well. But what I changed it to, and I already apologize in advance for how I'm breaking the rules, I want to do an animated Gene Belcher from Bob's Burgers as the lead <laughs> in this movie. Because I was like, who's a young kid? And I'm like, oh, Gene could do this. Like, Eugene Merman, the 40-year-old or 45-year-old voice actor, as 10-year-old Gene Belcher, just an animated character walking around Children of the Corn 3, that's my cast for Eli. He's uh, sweet, but he's also a little bit crazy. He's got things going on in his head. And plus, I think it should be funny to cast a cartoon character in a live-action movie, and then nobody comments on how he's a cartoon character. I'll allow it if you'll allow me to recast the way I... Because I was thinking, uh, like, I wanted to break this rule as well, because I noticed something about this film that bothered me. If I could gender swap Eli... 
which oh, is what okay. I wanted to do, sure. and have it be an evil little girl. Okay. Uh, and then I wanted to use Daphne Keene from Logan, who played little Logan Laura, oh, and have her work. be sort of the ringmaster and summon all the corn and everything. Okay, so how do we make a rule without sounding racist? I'm going to say we can break any rule we want, but we can't turn a non-white character white. Yeah, that makes it. Yeah, no whitewashing. Absolutely. No white <laughs> I think that's the only rule, basically. You know, but it, I mean, as long as it makes sense. Like, I, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm just changing Eli to a girl for no reason. Like, I no, honestly it would work. believe no, it like, would work. It would work. Yeah. The kid doesn't works. have to be. Like, he doesn't have to be a little boy in this movie. He just has to be like a creepy little kid. Yeah, exactly. Creepy kid. I like it. And the bad seed was a girl originally too, so it's kind of a callback to that as well. So yeah, so no rules really, except no whitewashing. That's your only rule. You can reuse people. You can do animated things. You can do non-actors, whatever you want. It's just a game. We're just trying to have fun here on Watch the Exactly. Uh, let awesome. us know what you thought of our picks. Let us know who you would recast. Watch oh, at cage I, I just thought of something, though. Could you, like, recast Clint Eastwood as just, like, a chair? Sure. <laughs> it's like, could they be an inanimate object? Absolutely. I mean, as long as they can, like, you know, nail the lines or whatever, sure. <laughs> Do you have any other last thoughts about Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest? Which is actually kind of like a weird. Like I don't think about until just now what the heart, what the name actually means, and like it's dumb, but it's a, it it conveys what the movie is. Oh yeah, I mean, New Jack City is probably the only movie more urban than this one that depicts the reality of the inner city. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, obviously. Like I just had a really great time watching this. I mean, I know it's trash, but it's it goes down easy. It doesn't give you a stomach ache. You know, you don't get indigestion or any of that stuff it's just some really weird crazy shit going on here that's kind of worth a look you know if you're in the mood for something that's not too serious that might gross you out a little bit and it's just like fun because it's confusing then definitely check out <laughs> children of the corn three urban harvest and if you haven't seen the previous two i don't think they're much better than this one i mean the first one's more like you know a real movie and everything was released in theaters and had a lot of hype i suppose but i think you know, this one was too because it's it does not marked as tv movie on imdb okay well there you go like you, you know it made it to theaters i mean I, I i would give it a shot that's all i'll say you know it's just don't expect it to be great it's just a lot of fun that's all it's just a fun bad movie i'm gonna actually take that back it is not listed on box office mojo only the first two are so <laughs> okay i don't know the nope nothing on wikipedia about a theatrical release either so this was a direct-to-video let's see here it was the first film in the series made under Dimension Films and Miramax Studios, which purchased the rights of the series and distributed the seven sequels that followed it. It was also the first film in the series to be released direct-to-video, arriving at U.S. video stores on September 12th, 1995. It wow. was, in fact, the only one of the series to get good reviews, and Stephen King praised it himself as the only one of his low-budget films made that he thought was actually quite good. So, <laughs> here we are. From the man the who brought three, you Maximum Overdrive. Fueled by cocaine. So, for all things Watch the Throne and all the other shows that we mentioned on here and all the other shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter. Also launching today is Too Fast, Too Forever, where Joe Two, who you know from our Cage Club and Keanu Club episodes, he's done one of each, and he's also my co-host on Zack Attack, he and I are launching Too Fast, Too Forever, 
And in Fate of the Furious, we have Charlize Theron. So in seven months from today, we will talk about it on that show. And then, like, I think eight months from today or something, or nine months or something, we're going to talk about it on this show. So lots of Fate of the Furious to come. But go listen to that. And then also in 10 days, we have a Channing Tatum podcast starting. And in 20 days, we have a Ryan Gosling podcast starting. And sometime early next year, we have a, a podcast from Mike that if you liked this movie wink wink hint hint you might like that what that's about so this is sort of like a backdoor pilot of sorts into that yeah lots of things to listen to cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub at cageclubpod on twitter i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and we'll see you next time on watch the throne the charlie's theron podcast (laughs) how long can we live this way how long till the rain stops coming down has been wondering when will it be over I dream that dream every evening maybe change is coming soon with the harvest moon